Good morning, everyone. Kids, you are dismissed for a gospel project. Hope you have a great time together. Thank you to those of you who are leading them this morning. If you would, please turn with me to uh, Proverbs. We, um, last week, finished our introductory series of messages considering what wisdom is uh, in general. And I tried to summarize this in a few sentences, so if you're just with us today, hopefully this can get you caught up. Um, We've said so far that the book of Proverbs paints the picture that wisdom is not something abstract. It is the skill that we need to live everyday life. So wisdom is skill for life. It's applying knowledge and Christ-centered thinking to the complex situations of everyday life. It leads us to ask about our actions, not just is this sinful or not, but is it wise or not, which leads us to different conclusions at times. We said that wisdom is the foundation. Wisdom's foundation is the fear of God, and it flows from time in God's word, listening to Jesus Christ, who is wisdom himself. And then we tried to summarize by saying many of the situations that we face in life require wisdom because the moral rules don't necessarily tell us what to do in every single situation. So for example, should I ask this person out on a date? Now for me, the moral answer is no. I'm married. But if you're not married, there might not be a moral rule that covers that situation. And so wisdom leads us to ask, is this a good person to ask out? Another example, what graduate school should I choose? The commands of the Bible will not answer that question for you. That's a question of wisdom. Is this a helpful person to become friends with? How do I respond to this nasty email? Is this the right moment to tell my coworker about Jesus? My kid keeps making the same mistake over and over and over. What do I do? All of those are questions of wisdom. And in fact, most of the questions we face in everyday life are questions not of moral absolutes, but are questions of wisdom. So in the second series, what we're going to seek to do together is to cover a whole range of practical issues that Proverbs speaks to. And we'll seek to analyze together what does the book of Proverbs tell us is a wise way of thinking about that. Make sense? Okay, now, our typical way of a, of a church, as a church of moving through the scriptures is to start in a book of the Bible or a particular place in the book of the Bible and just go paragraph by paragraph by paragraph by paragraph and move through the whole book. That's called expositional preaching through a book of the Bible. You can't do Proverbs like that. It would take us literally years because it moves so rapidly through topics that are not necessarily integrated to each other. And so what we're going to do in the next two series is try to pull together what does the book as a whole say about a particular topic and then frame it within one or two verses. So this will be really different than what we normally do, but you have to do the book that way. Or you will quit going to this church because in 10 years we will still be in the book of Proverbs. All right, you with me? Okay, so today we're going to be in Proverbs 4, so turn there, and I'll read a section in a minute. Now, let me give you a warning about 
this particular uh, sermon. You're about to get fire-hosed with truth. Uh, I, this is my least favorite kind of message to preach, um, but there are times that it's necessary. We're going to talk today about the heart. The heart is a topic the majority of us are completely unfamiliar with. And so my objective is instead of just landing and, and planting in one passage to just pull out the hose of truth and water you all down till you're drenched with it. And the effect of that can be, oh my gosh, this is something I have no clue about and it's everywhere in scripture. And so I wanna take these passages and with friends, with brothers and sisters in Christ, get to know them better. You're not gonna be able to turn to every passage. You will not be able to write down every one we look at. It will be impossible, there's too many. And so just sit back and try to drink a little bit of what's gonna get sprayed your way. All right? You with me? Okay. Um, Proverbs 4 is a powerful conversation between a father and a son. It is a dad saying to his son, listen, my son, don't wander away from the right path. That's what Proverbs 4 says overall. It's a dad saying to a son, don't swerve from the right path. And part of the way he says that is by getting to the heart. Now, parents in the room, that's a reminder for you. Don't, over, don't underestimate the importance of speaking truth to your kids and doing it over and over and over. And for all of us, we are kids who have a perfect heavenly father. And he's telling us today, don't wander off. Don't wander away. And the most important thing we can hear in that is a lesson about the heart. So look down in verse 20. We'll jump right down in the middle of this conversation and see what he says about the heart. Verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Here's the verse I really want to focus on. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. A massive, massive theme in the Bible is the heart. Over a thousand times it's addressed. That's a lot of times. Like if something's said to us that many times, it must be because it's important. Friends, if we hope to become people of wisdom, people who are skillful at everyday life, then we have to become people well acquainted with the heart. One of the key ways we have honestly sort of fallen into disciple-making in our, in our church family is through our disciple-makers classes that happen on Wednesday night. And in disciple-makers, we talk about the heart a ton. Those of you who have been through that, you know that. You've listened to it. You've heard it over and over and over. 
And my experience growing with fellow brothers and sisters in Disciple Makers is that majority of us are completely ignorant about the heart. Like, we're, we're heart stupid. We don't have any idea what the heart is. Absolutely no clue what happens at the heart. Instead, we tend to be people that are always talking about rules, looks, behavior, the observable stuff on the outside. But the Bible most often talks about the heart. Behaviors are insufficient for becoming people of wisdom. We've got to get down to the heart. Look at verse 23 again. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So what is the heart? Today I want to try to get at that issue by asking five questions. And again, my hope is not that you would retain all of this, but that you would be perhaps someone who sees for the very first time what a significant issue this is. So first question we're going to ask is what is it? What is the heart? When Proverbs talks about guarding your heart, for from it flows the streams of life, it's not talking about your physical heart. But that does get us pointed in the right direction. Here's what I mean. When you think about your physical heart, your heart is what pumps life to your entire body, right? Your heart is what makes sure every part of your body is functioning with what it needs in order for life to be sustained. So all your internal organs, what do they have? They got blood. There's blood pumping to them. All your extremities, what do they have? Blood. They've got life pumped to them. So just like your physical heart pumps life to your entire body, your immaterial core, your heart, pumps life to your entire soul. So as that immaterial part of you goes, so will go all of you. Your heart is the intangible, immaterial part of you. It's the inner life that no one can see. You can't observe it with your eye, but it drives everything about you. So in Scripture, it's, it's summarized, it's talked about, it's um, pictured as your character, as your intellect, as your memory, as your personality, your desires, your will. It's what drives your emotions. One theologian put it like this. The heart is the source of motives, the seat of passions, the center of your thought process, the spring of your conscience. A lot of that's over my head. So let me just put it like this. Your heart is what makes you tick. It's the steering wheel of your soul. It's what directs which way you're going to go. That's what your heart is. Now, that brings a second question. Does it matter? If that's what your heart is, then what difference does that make? Frankly, I think it sounds a little bit weird to be talking about something immaterial. We are living in a material world, and I am not a material girl. Uh, If... If you go today to a hospital and you get stuck in an MRI and say to the radiologist, the preacher said, I've got a heart. I want to see it. They're not going to find it. It's it's not something physical. 
but that doesn't mean it's not real. Correct? Of course, the heart matters. Your heart is the source of all of your behavior. All of it. It's enormously significant. Now, let me try to make this really practical. I imagine sometime in the last week, you have said or heard somebody else said, he makes me so mad. Have you heard that? Have you said it? You're wrong. No one makes you mad. You make yourself mad. Your heart is what makes you mad. The heart is the source of anger. Now, let me just bare my soul for a moment, and uh, if you lose massive amounts of respect for me, that's okay, because you shouldn't have a lot anyway. <laughs> the, the worst fights Jill and I have ever had have been in the car when we're traveling and we've been lost, okay? So, uh, this is about 20 years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Jill and I got, we lived in Oklahoma at the time, we got on a plane, we flew to Sacramento, and we had to drive from Sacramento to San Francisco. We were going to look at a seminary. So, think godly person, going to uproot my family potentially, move across the country, quit our jobs, and go study the Bible all day, every day for a year. Okay, that's the context. Now, I was aware of how many terrible fights we'd had in the car. Like, enough, Jill didn't want to go places with me. I'm not kidding. So, I'm praying ahead of time, God, she's going to screw up the directions, don't let me get angry with her. Okay? So, we get in the car, it's dark, this is pre-Siri, like Google Maps didn't exist, some of you don't even know what that would mean, but there's these paper things called maps, and you fold them out, and you got to try to figure out where you are, and then follow it, okay? So, we get the map out, unfold it, and pretty soon, guess what happens? Like, we're... We, we don't even know where on the map we are, let alone how to get where we're supposed to go. And Jill, God bless her, gets lost in our house. So we get really lost. We pull off on the side of the road, and I blow my top. Like I'm screaming at her. Profanities, how could you? She's weeping, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy get out of a big truck, and he's running towards our car, okay? It's pitch dark. We're in the middle of nowhere, and this dude is running towards the car. Jill's not looking because she's got her hands down like this, and she's crying, and I'm looking over there, and I'm still yelling at her, and the dude just comes up and starts beating on the window. She flips out. We rolled down the window, and the guy just wanted to help. I was so mad that he could tell outside in his rig, this guy is angry with his wife, and I need to help her. All right? 
So this man we don't know helps us get on the map. We get back on the road and head to San Francisco. No one's saying anything. And I, I realize, laying in bed that night, my, my anger had absolutely nothing to do with Jill. She got us lost, that's true. <laughs> it, it is. It's okay. Why, why was I mad? I was so convicted over my actions. Here we are sleeping in a room at a seminary we're looking at going to for me to be trained to be a better pastor. And, and I acted like such a fool, a driver of another car had to confront me. Like the guilt, I can't even describe that. So I'm praying deeper about that probably than I ever had before. God, how? I knew ahead of time I'm prone to this. Why did it happen again? And here's the thought that came in my mind. I felt incompetent, so I blamed her. So the, the husband is supposed to be the person that knows what to do, got it all together, can take care of the family. And I can't even get us from here to there. I felt incompetent. So instead of just pulling off and saying, I don't know where we are either. Let's ask God for help, and maybe he'll send a crazy truck driver and help us. <laughs> but like Genesis 3 shows us so clearly, when, when we feel exposed, what do we most often do? Cover, hide, blame. That's what Adam and Eve did. Cover, hide, blame. Now, in this case, that came out as anger. But I was angry with myself, not with her. But it's much easier to get angry at somebody else than to say, I'm an idiot. I don't know where we are. Friends, James 4 says that the source of quarreling, of fighting, of contention is the heart. And so... When we're mad at each other, it's because our desires aren't being met. It's because my heart feels frustrated. And instead of being a, a gracious, humble, loving, protective husband, I covered that up and blew up. Now, since then, um, that was a turning point for me. Have I ever gotten angry in the car? Again, yes, but not like that. <laughs> Not like that. Learning to discern what's happening at the heart and choosing the wisdom of Christ would resolve nearly every conflict you ever have. Jesus said that whatever you treasure in your heart, okay, again, not the blood-pumping thing, but the steering wheel of your, of your soul. Whatever you treasure in your heart, that's what makes you, that's what determines who you are. The book of Proverbs pounds on the heart. I made a list of everything it says about the heart. It says the heart is where lust comes from, not the eyes. It's where diligence comes from. 
It's where perverseness comes from. Evil, understanding, folly, bitterness, sorrow, cheerfulness, knowledge, joy, pride, haughtiness, prudence, worry, and envy all flow from the heart. This is so important. Perhaps we could even say the most important thing about you is your heart. Now, a third question. Is it healthy? If that's what the heart is, that's how important it is, then what's the condition of the heart? The average person you see on the street, what's their heart like? And we're going to do a heart check. What's the heart like? What's your heart like? Well, in the beginning, back in Genesis 1 and 2, the heart was good. The heart was innocent. The heart was pure. But then sin entered, and it poisoned the heart. And the story of Genesis, if you've been reading along through that Bible reading plan we gave out in December, the story of Genesis is a story of things that were good, then they went bad, and then they got worse and worse and worse and worse. And there's this moment in the narrative of Genesis, Genesis 6, it'll be on the screen, before the flood, so pre-Noah, where God is saying, here's how bad it is. Genesis 6.5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Oh. In other words, at your very best, doing maybe the right thing, underneath that is a heart that's looking for for accolades, to be thought of a particular way, that the motives down at the heart level are bad. So fast forward from Genesis 6 to, math, to Mark 7. We've just jumped thousands of years. Jesus is talking to people who on the outside are particularly concerned with what they look like, with their rules, their habits. They look like the super spiritual people. Like, these are the folks you call up and say, would one of you come and date my daughter? Like, they look like they've got it all together, all right? Here's what Jesus said about them. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is saying our problem is inside of us, not outside of us. So you know when you have a friend and eventually you meet the spouse. Like you've been friends a while and you, go, you all go out to dinner. What do you do? You size them up. She's with him? How did he convince her? I'm a lot better. Where does that come from? The heart. You know when you walk into a party and there's dozens of people in the room to go love and talk to and invest in, and instead you stand around and wait for people to come serve you? 
You don't do that because you're an introvert. You do that because you're selfish in the heart. You know when you're getting dressed in the morning and you make sure to put on those pants and that top that will draw the attention of people? Why do you do that? You do it because there's a problem in the heart. Should I keep going? Have I ripped your scab off yet? Friends, the heart is sick. The heart is messed up. The heart is the heart of the problem. Now, put that in the context of humanity's obligation before God is to follow him, to love him, to serve him. He's our creator. Genesis, uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Uh-oh. Those verses are often disconnected, but they go together. What are they saying? God isn't primarily looking at your external behavior. He looks at your heart. And all of us have a heart problem. Our hearts are sick. They're like an apple that looks shiny and nice on the outside, and you bite into it, and it's rotten. That's what the heart is like. God searches the heart. His standard of justice is what's happening in the heart. Now, do you feel the weight of that? That's heavy. Friends, your problem isn't mainly your family of origin or that you went to a cruddy school or who you're stuck working with or who sleeps to you what next to you, your spouse. It's not your culture or your health or your lack of money. Your problem is your heart. We make the same terrible decisions over and over and over and over and over again, not because of anything external, but because of the heart. But the command of God still stands. Like, you don't get to erase what God expects because you have a heart problem. So, super famous verse, if you've ever sat in a church service or read the Bible at all, you've probably heard it. Matthew 22. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We're commanded to love God with all of our hearts, and we have absolutely no hope of doing it. It's impossible. And so that command of God ought to fall like a ton of bricks, burying you underneath it. You and I have no hope of doing Matthew 22. We're evil. We're bound in sin. We're headed for hell. So more money or a Republican in the White House or better friends, nicer clothes, a spouse, 
Nothing can fix that because it's inside. You can't do anything about it. At the heart of all our problems is a heart problem. So Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Are you seeing how often this comes up? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. None of us get to see God. Our hearts are wicked. And so the situation we're in is, God, I need you. I need a close relationship with you. The world is harsh, but I can't see you. I don't have a pure heart. I'm all alone in my sin. I'm rotten to the core, separated from you. There is no one with a pure heart except one, Jesus. So our fourth question, heart, is there a solution? Yes. God is the divine cardiologist. He does heart transplants. He takes sick, weak, evil, dead hearts and changes them out and puts the pure heart of Christ who lived the perfect life in your place. Are you awake? So, a promise given in in Ezekiel before Jesus came, prophesying what he would do. Beautiful passage. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I'll cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. Praise God. And a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Friends, what you need is not merely a change in behavior, better habits, coming here more often, reading your Bible more, not going to certain websites. All of those are great things. But you're just washing away external stuff when what you need is a new heart. Jesus can give you a new heart so that from that heart you'll learn to live a new life. Another really famous passage. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, your evil heart will be cleansed. Jesus will die in your place and rise again and give you a new source to live from. That's the gospel. That's the fundamental message of Christianity. That's what Jesus promised. John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him learn to obey me better. Let him try harder. Let him pretend he didn't do that. No. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you hear the echo of Proverbs 4 in what Jesus just said? 
Jesus likely was thinking about Proverbs 4. What did Proverbs 4 say? The heart is the spring, the source of behavior. Does God care about your behavior? Of course he does. So much so that he wants to give you a new heart so that from that heart will flow behavior that honors God. My dear friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, your heart is in terrible shape. You have flatlined spiritually. And no amount of trying harder will shock it back to life. Instead, you need a new heart. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rising in victory to change you from the inside out. So the fundamental message of Christianity isn't be different, try harder. God helps those who help themselves. The fundamental message is you have no hope except Jesus. Jesus can give you a new heart. Now, fifth question. How can we guard it? So let's circle all the way back to Proverbs 4. That brings us right back to where we started. And I want to speak to those in the room who are Christians, who've been given new hearts. Friends, the perfect heart of Jesus has been applied to your life. So you have the pure heart of Jesus applied to your account already. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You get to see God because he's given you a pure heart. It's a gift. But that gift's got to be nurtured. It's got to be cultivated. How do we live? Well, with guarded hearts. Increasingly living like Jesus would live if he were walking around every day in your shoes. Because guess what? He is. We've got to guard our hearts. We've got to become better at helping each other know what's happening at the heart level and applying the gospel there because it's there where our behavior will be transformed, not the other way around. That's the basic commitment of church membership. It's God has rescued me. He's given me a new heart, but I got to learn how to live like it. Would you come alongside me and help me? Help me see the struggles in the heart. Brothers and sisters, we guard all kinds of things, right? We guard our appearance. We guard our reputation. We guard our weight. We guard our career. We guard what's on our, main, our transcript at school. But the most important thing you can guard is guarding your heart. We guard our houses. Bad people are out there, right? So we get guns and bats and dogs and alarms. But you can't guard your heart like that. It won't work because the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. The seeds of destruction, the seeds of chaos, the seeds of hardship are already in your heart. So guarding your heart isn't keeping bad people from getting into it. It's learning how do you expose what's in it already 
so that it can be cleansed again by Christ. Guarding our hearts means being careful that evil intentions don't flow out of the heart, but rather that transformation's happening within the heart. Very different way than we normally think. The Christian's transplanted heart now needs to be shaped into the image of Christ within a community of Christians who are supporting us and helping us. Because it's scary what's in the heart. Now, how does that happen? Give me five more minutes. I realize this has been a lot. Give me five more minutes. I want to share a couple of practical ways to think about this and flesh it out. One, do a, as you do a heart check, first you've got to get a new heart. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ for salvation, none of the rest of what I'm going to say matters if that hasn't happened for you. You can clean up on the outside, but it won't do any good. The inside needs to be cleansed, and only Christ can do that. And he's really, really good at it. So come to him and say, I believe you exist. I believe you're alive. I believe I've fallen short of your expectations. Would you cleanse me? Would you apply yourself to me, washing my heart clean? And guess what? He'll do it. Regardless of if you've sat in this room for decades or this is your first time here, it doesn't matter. That's the basic fundamental need of the human heart is that it would be exchanged for a new one. Now, once that's happened, then how do you apply the gospel to the heart? How do you take these truths and speak them down to the heart? Part of what the scriptures say over and over and over again is that we've got to be people who learn to trust God with all of our heart. When your heart is sick or it's wandering or it's hurting, you are naturally going to look for something to fill that void. That's all that sin is. Sin is an attempt to fill a need in a way that's harmful to us. That's what sin is. There's a hole in the heart it's hurting, I'm lonely, I'm angry, I'm afraid, I'm depressed, I'm scared, I'm anxious. I'm going to pour something into that need. Are you with me? That, we make this so complicated. That's all it is. Every time you do something dumb, that's what you're doing. You're picking up a pitcher and pouring into that need an unproductive, harmful, destructive thing. The crazy thing is, that it can work, just not for very long. So some of us turn to food. We stuff our bodies to give ourselves a sense of comfort and peace. But ice cream and Oreos can't fill a heart. They'll clog up your physical heart, but they're not going to fix your spiritual heart. Some of us turn to work. We overwork, not because we love people. We want to build a better society. We want to provide for the needs of the family. No, it's because we want to be thought of as a particular way. So we're pouring work into that need. We look to externals to fill the heart. And that's like giving a glass of sand, a glass of sand to a person dying of thirst. It doesn't work. It won't help. Instead, we've got to fight to cultivate trust in the Lord. 
How does that happen? It happens over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Every time I'm tempted to pour something else into a need that is an ungodly, unproductive, unhelpful thing. Sometimes those are good things. But if I'm looking to them to fix the heart need, then I'm just pouring sand down the throat of somebody who's dying of thirst. Instead, in those moments, I've got to say, God, forgive me. I trust you. Help me to see how you're at work in this situation. Help me to trust you. Help me to not run to sin, but to run to you. And you don't make that decision at 7 a.m. never to make it again throughout the day. But the decision of doing it at 7 a.m. helps fuel the dozens maybe hundreds of decisions that will need to be made throughout the day to trust Christ again and again and again and again and again. Trusting God at the level of the heart. You nurture trust by surrounding yourself with people who will ask you about your heart and encourage you to trust God more. Now, a really practical way to do that is a third thing is to fill your heart with God's word. Proverbs 27 says, Incline your ear, hear the words of the wise, apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. If all of them are ready on your lips, that, you may tr- that your trust may be in the Lord, I have made them known to you today, even to you. He's saying, take the truth of God's word and apply it to the heart. And, and frankly, what, what I've learned from disciple makers is years and years and years of reading the Bible will do you no good if you're not applying it to the heart. It's got to go to the heart. One more, and this is by far the most practical. Give your whole body to God. How do you nurture trust of God? How do you apply the gospel to your heart? Statistically speaking, probably half the room, we're we're visual learners. So most of what I do up here is worthless for you. But look at what this proverb does. Back at Proverbs 4. Listen to how it talks about your body. And think this week about literally walking through this in the morning to start your day. I'll end with this. Let me process this through you. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. God, help me today to hear with my ears the things that are true. God, help me today to listen to what you're going to say to me. God, help me today to not let the noise of the world drown out the still, small voice of my Savior. God, help me today to listen to people who will speak truth to me. God, may my ears be used for good, not evil. 
Verse 21, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. God, may what I see today, may I see it through the eyes of your truth. When I see my coworkers, God, help me to see them as Jesus would see them. God, what I look at on my computer screen, let me look at things that honor you. God, when I'm driving, help me to think of the runners, the people on bikes. Help me to look at them like Jesus would look at them. For their life to those who find him and healing to all their flesh, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. God, help me to see that I've got an internal steering wheel and it's my heart and Everything around me today is going to tell me my heart doesn't matter. That it's, it's what I do on the outside. It's what I look like. But help me to think from the heart. And when I'm tempted, help me to see how I want to pour stuff into my heart that isn't going to fix it. Verse 24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. God, when I'm tempted today to use my mouth to make myself look good, when I'm tempted to speak those white lies, when I'm tempted to, to say what's good isn't and what isn't is, God, when I'm tempted to curse that person out today, help me with my lips that only what would pass from my mouth would be pleasing to my king. Let your eyes look directly forward. Let your gaze be straight. Ponder the path of your feet that all your ways will be sure. God, let me walk today only those places that Jesus would walk if he were here. Let me not take a single step towards sin. Let me run towards what's good and turn away from what's evil. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. God, we are people so in need of new hearts. Thank you that in sin you have not turned away from us, but you have pursued us to the extent that you left heaven, came to earth, flesh, lived a perfect life, doing everything that we were supposed to do, loving your Father with all of your heart. And then stretching your arms out in love, dying to take on our evil hearts so that we could be exchanged for pure hearts. Thank you, God. Help us in grace to learn to live like it. Nothing else we're going to say, Lord, in this series of Proverbs matters if we don't start with the heart. Father, forgive us for rushing through life and not slowing down and considering the heart. Help us to become much better at helping each other walk with Christ at the heart. In Jesus' name we pray.